DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It is time to talk BYU football with David Nixon. David, good morning. And nothing gives me more excited to talk BYU football than Santa Baby, I'll tell you what. <laughs> Do you feel like you got an early Christmas gift watching the Cougars just dominate that game? Because i got to admit, I was curious, you know, if you, if, if you turn it over early, you give them some short fields and some confidence, they've got an offense that can put point on the bo- points on the board, and it never happened. It was 14-0. They did drop a touchdown pass. Certainly would have been first and goal. It's probably a touchdown. But it's 35-10 at the half. It, it was over. Yeah, I mean, it was a huge statement, not only you know defensively, but offensively to come out, five-play drive, score a touchdown, and then the defense forces them to a three and out on the very next drive uh, for, for UCF. And that was, I, I mean, uh, it was an early statement that BYU made there. And, and keep in mind, they, they missed, they dropped an interception on that first drive as well, right? Uh, the BYU defense did. Uh, in fact, dropped three three interceptions throughout the night. So um, it was it was just complete domination. It was it was fun to see this team put together a complete game, given the fact that Coastal Carolina and San Diego State they kind of struggled uh, on one side of the ball or the other, and to see them come out clicking on all cylinders, uh, it was it was fun to watch, especially against a team that that I think by record when you looked at UCF, you saw six and three, and you're like, okay, this this is a weak team. But then you saw that their combined total loss uh, was 15 points in those three losses. And you're like, man, these guys kept it close against the Cincinnati team, uh, lost barely to Memphis and then Tulsa. So uh, going into this, I was pretty worried. I, I didn't know how we would be able to respond if the secondary could hold up. And sure enough, the defense, I mean, what, how about the game plan that, that Tuiaki put together? Uh, after the game, uh, Kapusi, Isaiah Kapusi was on our postgame show, and he mentioned it several times. He said, listen, the, the game plan that, that Tuiaki put together in the coaching staff was phenomenal. And, and the game plan basically was keep everything in front of us, force them into throwing the short throws, we'll rally to the football, uh, and, and eventually they're going to get impatient, they're going to try some deep balls, they're going to have some incompletions, and they won't be able to sustain these long drives and score. And sure enough, it played out beautifully. That's exactly what happened. Um, and, and this, this BYU team is going to come out with a big, big win to cap off a special season, 11-1 season. Yeah, I got to admit, man, I was stunned. I did not think it was going to be that easy. You know, I thought they had a good chance to win, but at the same time, I thought Central Florida did. It turns out that they didn't have any chance to win. BYU dominated. In my mind, I go back, this was the most dominating performance I've seen by a Cougar football team since they beat Oregon. I think it was 38-8 to in the Vegas Bowl. What would you say to that? Yeah, that was my sophomore year that we we beat Oregon 38. <laughs> and yeah, so I like that year. And listen, I would agree. It, it felt the exact same. I mean, I, I remember that 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 Oregon year. It, it was not not until late in the game they scored those eight points. It was right. just basically a shutout. And it's the same thing. It was basically the same thing uh, last night. I mean, he's definitely scored 23, but some garbage touchdowns late. Uh, but but yeah, I, I, you could tell the team was motivated. Um, you know, I think what was tough about San Diego State is just kind of a blah game because they were, there was a lot of hangover, I think, from that Coastal Carolina game. Uh, and, and to see them rebound and, and play the way they did, it was, man, it was fun to watch. And it, and it goes to show you that when this team is motivated, when, when they are uh, focused and lasered in, what, what they were capable of, right? I mean, I don't know if they're really capable of 655 yards week in and week out like they put up last night. 
but uh, it, it, it was fun to see Zach go out and what we think is probably his last game is a BYU Cougar um, and, and put up the numbers he did over 400 yards uh, passing. You know, it, just, it was incredible to watch him go out there and pick apart that defense. But, um, I mean, what a, what a way to cap off this special season, right? And the, the crazy season that it was, go 11-1, and and come out there and just absolutely dominate. It was it was definitely fun to watch. So, how much have you played the woulda, coulda, shoulda game if they played six BCS uh, or six BCS six uh, Power Five teams? What uh, are there some of those schools that you think I really missed that game? I mean, obviously your game because of the rivalry, but among the other five, at Stanford's kind of the one I've looked at. That I think I really would have liked to see that game. Yeah, I, I think you look back at the original schedule, and the thing about the original schedule is all those P5 teams kind of had down years, right? I mean, we came into this thinking Minnesota was going to be um, a powerhouse. They struggled in their limited games. Utah started off slow. Uh, you know, they're trying to figure out their quarterback situation, so you wonder if BYU could have picked them off early. Uh, Arizona State, that would have been a, a great game. Uh, but to your point, Stanford, I mean, they, same type of deal. They were kind of up and down this year. And so Missouri, they weren't anything special. So it, makes you, it does make you wonder, right? If, if BYU plays the original schedule, you kind of catch a lot of these teams on somewhat of a rebuilding down year for them. Could they put something together? I think with that original schedule, even a even a ten and two, eleven and one, still gets them into a New Year six uh, because of that strength of schedule. And so, uh, you know, it, it is a yeah. You can play that woulda, coulda, shoulda game, and and we've talked about this in weeks past, right? Uh, the bummer about this season was Kalani and staff, and, and we all knew that that this year is going to be special because of, of what we've seen in the past and, and how these young guys – I mean, Zach Wilson started as a freshman. Brady Christensen started as a freshman. There are so many of these young guys that had to start as freshmen. Gunnar Romney started early in his career. And now they're finally upperclassmen, and they, the experience was finally there, and we knew it was going to be a good year. Uh, didn't know it was going to be this good, uh, but it was, it was a bummer that they didn't get to play against the original schedule and get better competition to prove themselves uh, because I think – you know, frankly, even though it's 11-1, there's probably going to be a little bit of an asterisk next to this record moving forward that says, hey, that was the COVID year, right? I mean, they, they didn't play a lot of stiff competition. So it's, it's a bummer because they'll discredit this team a little bit. But, you know, last night showed you that, that they can go out there and they can blow teams away. And I think it was the first time UCF had lost by 10 points or more for, uh, well, I can't remember, it was like five or seven years or something like that. Um, and they're just they're used to keeping games close, and, and BYU just completely dominated them. I've had guys on the staff tell me that Kalani Sataki really rounded into form as a head coach, and he set the tone, and it's a lot of fun to work for him now. Now, you've played a lot of different football at the lowest levels and at the highest levels and everything in between. How much can a coach and the belief that the players and other assistants and staff members have in that head coach set the tone? Uh, it's huge, and especially at the college game. I think when you go, once you get to the NFL, those guys are pros. Those guys have been around the block. I mean, some of those guys are, are uh, with Sean McVay, some of those guys are older than their head coach, right? Uh, and so in the NFL, it's kind of a different beast. I don't think the head coach plays as much of a role, but in college, I mean, a lot of these kids are coming fresh out of high school, right? I mean, it's almost like another father figure for them. Uh, and and a, a coach really is the CEO of the team. I mean, he's got his coordinators who are going to be calling most of the plays, uh, and, and he's there just to ride the troops. And, and I said early on in the season, in fact, before the season started, when BYU's down to two games left on the original schedule, 
I said, this is going to be Kalani's finest hour. Uh, here's his opportunity. He has to go out there and rally these troops uh, because these guys are now in fall camp in the middle of the heat and, and practicing for who knows what, right? I mean, they're going to play two games this year. And so he was able to motivate them to come out day in and day out, keep grinding, uh, keep pounding, and, and let them know that eventually we'll get our reward. And sure enough, uh, he, he kept them prepared and kept them focused, and, and they came out, and Tom was able to put together a schedule, and, and week in and week out, they were able to, to, to stay prepared. I mean, and, and the crazy thing about this year is, and I don't think we talk enough about this, is, is with COVID, who's going to be lining up there on Saturdays, right? I mean, you, you didn't know if you're starting linebacker or, you're, or Zach Wilson or whoever might get COVID, and they might have to sit out. And, and we didn't know which coaches would be there. I mean, what people don't talk a lot about is that Boise State game. Uh, that half the defensive coaching staff wasn't at that game because of COVID. And then, of course, last night, you hear the reports of, of Jeff Grimes and a couple of other offensive coaching staff weren't there because of COVID. And so, you know, credit to this, this coaching staff, Kalani, of, of making sure he's got all of his coaches set up and if there are people missing, that they can overcome that and get the players ready as well during this crazy year. Uh, and, and, and they were. They were, they were focused. And a lot of that falls on Kalani. And frankly, a lot of that falls on the team captains as well. The veteran leadership of this team, you saw uh, from Zach Wilson and Brady Christensen, Troy Warner, Isaiah Kafusi, all those guys uh, getting their teammates ready week in, week out. And so uh, just a crazy year. And it was fun to see BYU be prepared every game and, and see Kalani um, really at the helm of that. And I, and I would agree. I, I think he turned a corner this year. And I, I think people are starting to take notice. Um, you hear the recruits that they've gotten recently that has said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, taking notes of what Kalani's doing down there. I want to be a part of it. So um, it's exciting. I, th- I think BYU finally this year started to turn a corner. And, and you, you get that winning kind of mentality. And, and you, catch a, you catch that winning, uh, uh, that mojo. And, and you, you want to continue to move forward, right? And I think that's what Zach Wilson leads with this program is this legacy of winning uh, going off 11-1 season. And that's something you can build on this offseason uh, and for years to come. So do you think Kalani will get taken care of and uh, the deal will be sweetened and extended? Because and, uh, we're not the only ones who notice it's going well there. Whatever we're hearing is also circulating among college coaches and ADs. Yeah, I think so. Listen, I think it's a, Tom's in a tough spot, uh, not only because he's obviously busy trying to juggle all these sports during COVID and all, but it's tough to go out there and announce a big extension during COVID when you've had to lay off some of your – uh, guys in the athletic department, and and uh, you're asking for 20 million bucks from, from Cougar fans, right? It's tough to go out there and announce a big lucrative deal for for Kalani to extend it and and you know probably up his salary a bit. And so I think it's touch and go in that sense. He's probably had some private conversations with Kalani. Is my guess that listen, you're you're our guy. You're going to be taken care of. Just for the PR game, we've got to figure this out. So uh, I think they're probably both on the same page. I don't know how he couldn't be after this type of season and, and kind of what they've got and what they've built so far. So I think he'll be fine. Uh, and I don't think Kalani is going anywhere. He's, he's mentioned before he's a BYU guy. So I think he stays. Um, but obviously, who knows? You know, you've got Boise State opening that just opened up, and you've got Arizona. I mean, there's it's only going to probably continue here for the next few weeks. Uh, so I bet you he'll get some looks. But – Ultimately, I think uh, he, he loves BYU, played here, obviously, and, and uh, probably wants to stay, but, but we'll see. You never know. So there was a lot of opportunity because a bunch of games weren't close in the bowl game, obviously one of them, where you can get young guys in there and at least get some form of playing experience. I'm wondering, 
and we keep hearing we get those young guys in. Is that overstated, even if it's just garbage time, or is it valuable opportunities for them that they can build on? It's valuable. It's very valuable uh, because game reps are nothing like practice reps, right? I mean, practice reps are a whole different game. You have time to when the play ends to stop, and and coaches can walk on the field, coach you up, learn from your mistakes, and then they, they do the next play, right? I mean, that obviously that's not happening in the game, especially against UCF, who was running at lightning pace for a while there. They were playing, and they'd snap the ball within ten seconds of the play clock uh, uh, being wound down, and so. It was it was uh, at a rapid pace, uh, but yeah, the the, the game like reps are huge because of the bullets are flying and and uh, you know it's just it's game reps and it makes you think faster and, and you get to see live speed, and so you know that was the great thing about this BYU this team this year is they were blowing opponents out and it allowed for a lot of these young guys to get in, uh, but at the same time. You look at next year and and we start to go down this the offense defense special teams. And, man, you return a lot of guys. And keep in mind, with the whole senior COVID thing, everyone getting an extra year, there might be some seniors that decide to come back, that, that maybe they get some feedback from agents that they're probably not going to go until a free agent um, or later on or, or maybe don't have much of an opportunity. And they say, listen, I love BYU. I'm going to take another crack at this. I mean, I want to follow up 11-1 season. And so that's what's crazy about this year. We did senior night against San Diego State, and we covered that on BYU TV. And, we were kind of saying we think this is his last home game. Uh, he might he might decide to come back, and so it'll, it'll be interesting to see what what team BYU fills next year. Which guys decide to come back? Um, but even if you know, assuming all the seniors did leave, uh, BYU's got a lot of talent. A lot of juniors have played that that will be back, including Gunnar Romney, Dax Milne. Um, you've got MP on the offensive line, I and mean, the offensive line will be fine. And look at that. Look at Algier. Tal Algier rushed for over 1,100 yards this year. Um, he'll be back. Uh, Lopini Katoa, you know, you're on the defense side of the ball. you got a lot of young backers. I think Kapusi's gone, but other than that, you got a lot of sec- young secondary as well. Michael Harper played a lot last night. Um, there's, there's just a lot of talent coming back, so it's exciting, I think, for BYU fans. The big question mark, obviously, is quarterback, and that's what, that's what will be the story going into the offseason and throughout the offseason, who will be the guy at the helm, whether it's Baylor Romney. Does Baylor start the first few games and maybe Conover comes in and takes over? Or does Conover get the, the reins to begin with? I mean, it's, it's going to be an intriguing storyline. Um, and I, I like the fact that there's going to be that competition as well, right? I, I think that's going to be healthy for this team, to, for those guys to go battle it out. So, um, yeah, we'll see, we'll see how it all plays out. But I, I'll tell you what, it's much easier to head into an offseason and build upon it after winning the game, build upon that versus having that sour taste in your mouth with a loss uh, like you only had last year and trying to prep for a season. So, um, it, it's it's great that they picked up that W, and, and especially in the fashion that they did. So looking ahead to next season, there's not only the question of uh, which seniors are going to return to be super seniors and then which uh, juniors are going to leave early. There's also the transfer portal. And now you start looking ahead to the schedule next year. What do you think is going to happen at Boise State with Harson going to Auburn? Yeah, it makes you wonder if kids – transfer down that way with them or, or what? I mean, and you've seen Utah pick up a couple of transfer quarterbacks. Uh, and then, of course, you've seen, I think, Bentley just entered the transfer portal is what I heard yesterday as well. So you've got this carousel of people transferring all around. I think that's going to be the interesting part to watch are a lot of these super seniors who get this extra year uh, decide to jump ship and go somewhere else because they've got an extra year. And so 
um, man, it's, that transfer portal turned into something that I don't know if the NCAA really thought through it. Uh, it's it's quite the quite the carousel in there. But um, you know, it, it's a good question. Does BYU target a quarterback in the transfer portal? I know that everyone feels confident that they've got the quarterback in the room with Jacob Conover, uh, and, and Baylor Romney's shown to be very serviceable as well. So, do they have their guy, or, or do they with the schedule they face next year? Um, you know, that schedule, by the way, is brutal. And we'll get to that. We can get to that in a second. But, uh, you know, do they need some more experience in that quarterback room. So we'll, we'll see how it all comes together. It's, it'll be interesting to see what, what guys they pick up, uh, you know, this year. And a lot of it will depend on the personnel, too. Which guys decide to go pro? Uh, does a Dax Miller, Gunnar Romney get some good feedback and they decide to go to the next level? Uh, there's been some rumblings about that. Of course, Zach. And, and does Brady Christensen as a junior go? I, I would think so. So it also depends on, who, you know, what guys decide here in the next week or so. Are they going to the next level, which ones don't? And then, yeah, kind of go in there and fill in the gaps. So how much fun is that hype going to be for BYU versus Utah next season? Oh, I mean, well, listen, it's already off the charts every year, right? Uh, but I think this year even more knowing, you know, what the special year BYU had and and the guys they bring back and, and finally an opportunity to try to break, uh, break the streak. But uh, – Listen, the Utah Utah showed something this year as well. Started off 0-2 and then rattled off three straight, and you got that Ty Jordan, that running back. I mean, man, he's fun to watch. and Just just a little guy, but but he runs hard, and he's quick, and he's tough to bring down. So um, I think it's going to be a great matchup, as it always is. And that's we talk about it every year with the rivalry game, right? I mean, you throw out the records. You throw out uh, the rankings, if there are rankings. They're, they're, you never know what's going to happen in those games, and, and it's, it's always fun to watch for that reason. But – BYU gets that warm-up game against Arizona down at the Raiders' new stadium, and then uh, come home and, and play Utah. And, and uh, you know, it's yeah, that, there'll be plenty of talk, as there always is in the offseason, to see how that game's going to play out. Five Pac-12 opponents plus Broncos scheduled for a return with uh, the Virginia Cavaliers. Other than that, there's nothing to talk about. I'm overlooking a trip to Baylor. That schedule's loaded. We'll get to that down the line. Today, I think uh, Cougar fans want to revel in the 11th win. David, thanks for coming on and uh, talking a little BYU football. Yep, great season, guys. Appreciate it. Take care. We'll see you guys next year. David Nixon, join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coming up next, Riley Jensen, our college football insider, stops by. Stay with us. These are the guys that have been there and seen it all. You see? You see? This is DJ and PK. Presented by Mark Miller Subaru. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. So this is Christmas. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Riley Jensen has had to uh, push his appearance back to 9 o'clock, so we will speak with him coming up in about half an hour. A college football insider will join us. That opens up this segment for you to weigh in on the BYU football season that has just concluded. And Keegan tweets this out. And now Keegan Underwood's handle is at BYU Homer 7. Okay, so let's take that into account, PK, when when he tweets this out. But are you ready for this one? Yeah. I don't think there's any argument that this BYU team is the best college football team from the state of Utah since the 2008 Utes. To which Adzog Ute tweets back at him, why do you do this to yourself? And it's on. Ready? Go. 
Could the 2020 Cougars have beaten the 2019 Utes? We don't have to go all the way back to 2008 to find a good team. That was an 11-win Ute team, and that was a good football team. Sent a lot last of guys to the NFL. Up? You talk about last last year's Utes? Yeah. This year's Cougars, because last year's Cougars, the answer was no, resoundingly. Resoundingly. Could this year's Cougars have beaten last year's Utes. Mm, man, I, I would know. pick last year's Utes. Okay. How do I argue that? Yeah, it's hard to, and it's hard to do. It's you know, obviously obviously time travel doesn't work and we'll never know. Well, and also too, you have not hasn't been every year, but I think it's clear Utah has the better program now mm-hmm. since they've been in the Pac twelve. I don't think we can argue that. But even with the better program, which they to me, I think it's clear, as I say, uh, the Cougars uh, up 20 in the second half, need a two-point conversion to win it. Obviously, they could have kicked the extra point and gone into overtime. So the point being, when you have those situations, when one team has far superior talent and is a much better program, still the game's coming down to one play right at the end. Now, I take Utah's program last year, which had superior talent again, against the BYU team that this this BYU team here they played I believe above their individual capability which is I think the goal of every athletic team play better together than you are individually and I always screw that saying up the sum is better than the individual parts we've all heard it and I don't I haven't memorized it so I don't know I understand the purpose behind it and the point being together and that includes the coaches. Together, everyone, we're squeezing out more than we would have if we just look back and step back and look at it individually. And I think BYU's football team did that this year. Individually, they had some good talent for sure, but collectively, including the schemes, particularly on offense, they rolled. And it's just the way it is. Even in the Coastal Carolina game, they moved the ball. That wasn't the issue. They just had a fumble here or an untimely drop there, those types of things. But they moved the ball. So the offense was performing at such a high, high level. But then you're asking this offense to perform at a high level against a defense that has nine friggin' NFL guys. Yep. And the only uh, – forget that Texas game, that Texas bowl game. I don't – to just wipe that out because nobody, literally nobody in a Pac-12 who loses the conference title game wins their bowl game. They're 0-9. So obviously the hangover of being this close to the granddaddy has a major effect. Well, the only two, so moving that aside, the only team that moved the ball was Oregon. And Oregon had a ton of talent. They had an NFL quarterback who uh, – I. Probably I'd have to look at it, but stands a good chance to be rookie of the year in the NFL and Herbert. Well, is Zach Wilson Herbert? I wouldn't say right now that he's Herbert. I think Herbert, I would give the edge to Herbert. But, you know, five years from now, let's check back. Although Herbert really, to me, looks awesome for a rookie. If you grade him on a curve with the Chargers, they got to be ecstatic. So could BYU's offense put up a bunch of points against that defense? I'd be hard-pressed to say they would roll out 35. So I'd probably go with your prediction of the Ute game, the Ute team winning that particular made-up game. 
But that's what Sports Talk Radio is about. It's a bunch of crap, and we just sit around <laughs> and, and BS. And yeah, with a, all right. And that's why it's fun. You know? <laughs> right. Because if you want to argue the other way and shoot me down, I got to stand there and say, okay, as long as you present some rationale behind it and not just 100% fanboy, if you can give me some rationale, I would certainly be open to listening to it. And I think the rationale is the Utah offense uh, was good, but the Utah defense fearsome just so many nfl guys so it's hard to pick it it's hard to pick against them yeah i mean you could only have two other positions to put the most guys in the nfl off of one defense (laughs) yeah right you had nine i mean that's just awesome and and they got it going on in that uh, bowl game herbert did it but herbert's an nfl quarterback zach wilson is an nfl quarterback is Zach Wilson as good as Herbert? Well, maybe we can answer that next year. Now, that depends on where he goes and if he gets the opportunity to play early. Uh, like, and, and he needs a what? A punctured lung? I was about to say. I was about to say. The, even the Charger coaches have was like, yeah, we don't want to put you out there yet. You know? This, maybe maybe it's a Tua Tonga-Vailoa situation where he would have ended up on the field anyway. But, you know, don't throw him into the deep end of the pool right away. Uh, but, yeah, the doctor gives a shot on the sideline, and it goes very, very wrong. And next thing you know, he's in. Yeah, and he's, he's, now he's awesome. He's flinging it. Yeah, he's a fun player to watch play. And I, we had him on the show a couple times. So not that I know him that well, but, you know, just to get to talk to him. And then I've, become a, I've become an even bigger fan of the Pac-12 because they bring the best kids in their program down there. Not necessarily always the most talented, but you fall in love with these young kids because the way they present themselves. Like I'll, for, I'll forever be a fan of Joshua Kelly, who's a running back with the Chargers, played for UC Los Angeles. And, geez, listen to him. And just seeing what a great kid he was and going to UC Davis and betting on himself and then transferring down down south of there and then making it to the NFL. What a phenomenal story. I'm a fan of that kid. I hope he runs for a touchdown every time he touches the ball. And he was a great kid. He was so full of life when he was on our show. So it was so much. It's fun. I really enjoyed it. I missed it greatly this year. So it's, it's fun to go back and forth on this stuff here. And who would have beaten whom? I don't know. I, your guess is as good as mine. But it, but the great thing about it, I go back to what I said earlier about BYU. If they lose three or four games, we're not going to have that discussion. Would this year's BYU team be able to beat last year's Utah team? No, we wouldn't have that because we wouldn't think highly of BYU. So if you're a BYU fan and that question is nagging at you, well, what if – know that that's a question that you want to be asked because the only way you're in the position to ask that question is if they have a big-time season. If they have an 8-4 and four season this year, we're not asking that question, how good really is this BYU team? That's the great thing about it is they put themselves in position to ask how great is this BYU team. And I've been getting guys at tweeting at me and uh, one, is Jeff Grimes going to go to LSU? Is he a candidate for the Boise job? I had someone during the game last night contact me and say, hey, is the reason why Grimes not there is because of the Boise thing with Harson <laughs> leaving? 
I said, no, it's a COVID thing. For whatever reason, BYU doesn't want to announce it. Uh, some, some programs, like Dabble Sweeney, had no problem announcing, well, Trevor Lawrence is missing these two games because of the contact tracing. BYU doesn't. I don't understand why. Was there some legality that they can't say, well, those coaches that were not there was because of the COVID situation. Either they had it or have it or there is some contact tracing going on. But that's why they weren't there. I mean, I've confirmed that, and it's not like that's breaking news anyway. It's really it was obvious news as to why they wouldn't be there. But somebody had asked me, literally during the game, is Grimes not there because uh, he's going to Boise? And I had somebody else. Is, is Grimes going to LSU to be their offensive coordinator? <laughs> I've already had that. The coaching, the coaching carousel is just getting started. Hold on, people. It's, uh, I think there are going to be more change. Not, there are going to be as many changes as a quote-unquote normal year, but I think there's going to be more than I expected watching this unfold in September oh, and October. I when thought everyone there was, was going to be plenty. Oh, really? When everyone was talking yeah. budget deficits and all no, that stuff. Not when it comes to winning football. There's yeah. no such thing as a budget deficit. Especially in the, the SEC. Boosters will pick up the money. Yeah. You know what's really weird? This is bizarre. Do you know when Randy Meisner left Poco to join the Eagles, he was replaced by Timothy B. Schmidt. And when Randy Meisner left the Eagles, he was replaced by Timothy B. Schmidt. Now, you may ask, what the crap does that have to do with what we're talking about? Yeah. Are you asking that? Are you asking me that? What the crap does that have to do with <laughs> what we're talking about? I'll tell you. When Gus Malzahn left Arkansas State to go to Auburn, he was replaced by Brian Harson, And when Gus Malzahn was fired at Auburn, he's replaced by Brian Harson. All right. <laughs> that is a hit, I have to say. That is a hit for the old hometown thing. You know, the hometown, uh, the hometown link, it, it helps, uh, but it's not the perfect uh, – the perfect uh, shield, what is it, and starts shields up in Star Trek, what do they say? Deflector shield, whatever it is. Uh, you know, the guy who grew up in Boise and went to Boise State and left briefly and came back and, and Auburn prized him away. Do you think Boise State reaches into their past and sees if uh, Chris Peterson wants back in? Oh, jeez, I would hire, <laughs> I'd hire Chris Peterson in this second. I, know, I mean, right. I wouldn't even interview him. I would just, Chris, you want the job? Yes. Okay, boom. 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 Uh, uh, yeah, and I don't. I don't know that that would happen. I think I don't either. Stuff. But you'd be crazy not to call and then say, uh, you know, we're going to be looking for a while. So think about it, and I'll call you again tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, Chris Peterson had uh, had suffered a little bit of burnout there, uh, and I don't know if he's going to be a Dick Vermeil or who knows what or Herm Edwards for that matter. And depending on how long they're out, get back in or Urban Meyer and just uh, have dalliances and never go back. I, I, I can't tell you. And I don't know what Urban's going to do either. If he Well, the last time he had one year off, this time it's clearly uh, more time than that. Has he been out three years now? Yeah, he's yeah. got a great thing going on. He so does. If I, if I were him, what more do you need to accomplish to be a legend in college football? Why bother? But that's, uh, that's an individual thing. As far as Boise is going to have no shortage of candidates. Oh, and they are, they are in full panic mode in Tempe because uh, Antonio Pierce is receiving strong consideration down in Tucson. And Pierce is their number one recruiter for the Devils. He's only been an assistant coach for three, not even three full seasons, because obviously this season was 
not even close to a full season. So, but he played football for the U of A, and they're all worried in Tucson, uh, Phoenix about that. And plus, uh, their offensive coordinator is a guy named Zach Hill, who Herm hired from Boise last year. So they're worried about that. But they've got a couple other guys. Uh, Moore, the offensive coordinator for the Cowboys. And uh, who is it? Uh, Davalos at Oregon. Oregon is a coordinator there. And he was a linebacker, I believe, for Boise. So uh, they're going to have an opportunity to make a really good hire and probably continue to be a really good program, I would think. And I would think they would get somebody who has Boise ties. Now, Harson had a big time, and he came back, and he did a very good job. But then you hear that, you know, he wanted out, and they were discussing with the AAC, and we talked a little bit about that yesterday, and Auburn comes calling, and that's not the biggest of the big, but it's really close, <laughs> right? Because you're in the SEC and you're in the you're in the same recruiting battle areas that Alabama was able to get all that talent. So I can see why he'd be interested in that job, but the heat just got cranked up a thousand times. Uh, and you, oh, and I heard Boise. You talk about going back and getting uh, Chris Peterson. I also saw that Dirk Cutter was listed, and he was before. He's Chris been in Peterson. the NFL. He's been yeah. he spent a lot of time in the NFL. Head coach, no less, but he was one of uh, the early guys to have success yep. at Boise. I think did he follow Nut in the used to Nut in the yeah, uh, I think so. in the coaching carousel before they went to Hawkins, and then all those guys eventually they take off. Boise is a stepping stone job, no matter what you want to think about it, and it's been a great job. They've had great success, but it's still a stepping stone job. And you know, I assume he's going to get. Um, uh, Harson going to get a ton of money, but you'd have to think that maybe some of these BYU guys would receive some interest. And Grimes is not LDS. Uh, would he be interested in going someplace else? Uh, can certainly get more money. You can go to a coordinator's job in the SEC, and I would almost be certain that it would be more money. Yeah. Uh, you look at man. What is in Ludwig? Ludwig's making like eight, nine hundred thousand dollars. Nine hundred was the number I saw. Yeah. Is that what is it? Is it nine hundred thousand? Yeah. Uh, so, wow, to go yep. coordinate plays and call plays for uh, somebody in the SEC. So maybe he would be interested in LSU if they were interested in him. Obviously, that's where he had been coaching as an offensive line coach. He also coached at Auburn, too. He's got a ton of experience, and he did a great job, as did Aaron Roderick. I would love to see those coaches come back because I think that was a significant part of the story is the continuity on the coaching staff. I thought that this was as good a coaching from the offensive perspective at BYU since I've ever, uh, uh, since Norm Chow. Oh, I, I meant to show you something. Uh, there was a, a guy named Kaysen played DB for the uh, Wildcats. He played in the NFL, and he wants to be a head coach. He, wa- he wants to be the head coach at, uh, at uh, Arizona. Now, he has no uh, coaching experience, but who cares, right? I mean, that, <laughs> that doesn't matter. Oh, no, okay. <laughs> Antoine Kaysen, right? I Let's roll the dice. But he, he did play in the – I think he might have played for the Chargers too. He's uh, 34 years old, and he's willing to be the lowest paid head coach in the Pac-12. And here's – I'm reading something that I saw yesterday, and I took a snapshot of it, so I got it right in front of me. While he was not willing to give too many details on his staff, Kaysen said it would include former Hawaii coach and 
SC, UCLA, and Utah offensive coordinator Norm Chow as his offensive coordinator. That surprises me. <laughs> I mean, the XFL that, thing I could see he didn't even have to move, but he's no. got a good thing going. He's been out for a while. Does 74 he, years old. Does he really want to get back into that? And, and, you know, when he was down in L.A., and you, you got to recruit. And I remember seeing him at a Cottonwood High game. I can't remember who they were going after. It was, you know, when Cottonwood had uh, guys coming in from high schools all over the place and kind of had an all-star team going there. And, yeah. uh, and I got to a game early. You always try to get to the – if you're going to two games for TV, you always try to get the first one early. Not only get good parking, but you got to get good parking to leave because you got to be able to leave real quick, get out of there, and get to the next game or leave and, and get back after the second one. So we're there early. And Norm, they're, they're in a period where you can't talk. So all the college coaches, and there were several there, they stay where they can be seen even though they can't say a word. But then as the players will see them, right? And so at Codwin, there's this big asphalt ramp that wraps around the southern end zone and goes down onto the field. The dressing room is up high. Um, up on top of the hill. And so they've got to go through this chain link fence and down this uh, asphalt path. And Norm is standing by the chain link fence for like, I don't know, 10 minutes. And just kind of catch his eye, just a couple words. He didn't have a long conversation. We hadn't had him on the show at that point, and I didn't know him as well. And uh, But, you know, hey, how's it going, that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, do you really want to spend your Fridays flying somewhere so you can stand by a chain link fence? So you can fly to wherever the team is playing on Saturday. <laughs> I mean, it's a grind. And, and nobody wants to hear coaches say that because they're making so much money. But that's a grind. Does he want to do it's that? Grind, but don't worry because Case is not going to get the job anyway. <laughs> so, so it's not going to happen. No. It's, it's All right, we got to take a break. DJ and PK, jazz opener tonight. We got to hit that next. Riley Jensen's coming up at 9 o'clock. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280. The Zone, jazz next. Your home for Utah's best sports radio. With the hosts that have been with the Jazz, Utes, and Cougars for every step of the way. This is DJ and PK on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yes! Okay, we were just talking about the Arizona job. What do you know? Well, multiple reports out there that the University of Arizona has hired the quarterbacks coach of the New England Patriots staff, and his name is Jed Fish, F-I-S-C-H. Been around, I think he's 44 years old, turned 44 in May. He did not play high school football and... He attended East Hanover High School in East Hanover, New Jersey. You know what's significant about that high school? Uh, something early in your life. My sister went there. Oh, there it is. <laughs> and, and who was that gal who was the uh, confidant of, uh, what's her face, uh, Bill Clinton? Mel, uh, what was that gal's name? Had the you know what with the Bill Clinton? That young, she's not young anymore. Uh, oh, Monica, Monica Lewinsky. Lewinsky. Yeah, well, Monica Lewinsky's friend was an older lady. Remember her? Yeah, yeah. Who was, convinced her to stay on the phone and talk to her and not get in the dress dry cleaned. 
classmate of my sister. Oh, really? (laughs) I didn't know that. All right. Well, there's some trivia for you. So they go into the pro ranks. They get get an NFL quarterback coach who presumably is going to come in and juice up the Arizona offense. Better fix that Arizona defense, too, because it's been a problem. Well, you got tons of work there. This kid, he played tennis in high school. All you tennis people, there's a way. There it is, man. You could still end up coaching at a Pac-12 school. You never know. And he does have a a little bit of a connection to uh, the Pac-12. In 2017, he was the quarterback's coach, offensive coordinator for the Bruins, UC Los Angeles. And you probably don't remember this, but... And when that's the year Moore got fired, and so Fish served as the interim coach. And already Arizona people, our buddy Greg Hansen, longtime columnist down there, he's hammering the uh, hiring. I'm going to refrain and say, well, who knows? But uh, you never know. But they wanted like to he... take the San Jose State coach. Uh, yeah, uh, yes, I think that's because Hansen's. He's like, uh, well, Gordon has grown into that category, but like a Dick Rosetta who'd been around forever and knows people and has connections. And so Hanson was there when Tommy was there when the San Jose State coach Brennan had that connection. So, yeah, they, they wanted somebody that's some form of a local tie. But I don't know who's to say that this guy doesn't come down there and just roll. I do know that, obviously, this is a massive, massive rebuilding job that needs to be done. All right, uh, we teased Jan's opener tonight, and i got to admit I'm wondering what kind of a season we're getting ready for here, uh, PK. They've only put out half the schedule. We're going to see games where, you know, players miss. I assume we're going to see a lot of what we've seen in football and what we're seeing in college basketball. You know, sometimes games won't be played. Sometimes players will miss. Uh, we were talking about BYU. You know, they didn't have the normal amount of preparation for Coastal Carolina because they found out midweek they're playing the game. And Quinn Snyder has already said our guys have to be adaptable. He says there are going to be times that we just can't have shoot-arounds and that we can't even have a team meeting. We're going to have to have a Zoom team meeting depending on the city we're in and how the pandemic's playing out there and what the rules are. We just got to be adaptable. But it starts tonight with Portland. And Portland, like the Clippers, like Denver, you know, that's at least four teams that can make a case for, hey, if we can't finish one, we ought to at least think about being in a, a win in a playoff series and being in a two versus three matchup in the second round. And obviously there isn't room for all these teams, but these teams, there's a storyline, there's a logical path to get any one of these clubs there. Portland had a lot of injuries last year. Well, they had the big one to Nurkic. That's really the key one. And so, but two years ago, they're beating Denver in a game seven to get to a conference final. So you know they're thinking, hey, we can beat two in the West. I I believe you're absolutely right. Why wouldn't they? There's a bunch of teams. As far as the COVID goes, well, it's going to – to what level of havoc does it wreak? Probably some or hopefully not a ton, but somewhere in between would be most likely. And I get that. But what my goal is, and I think everyone's goal is, is to have when we get to the postseason that as a country and as a world – We've got this thing in a rearview mirror, so if they get to the postseason, then they're good to go because of the vaccines and whatnot, and, that, and that's, that's what I'm eyeing. And in the interim, there's going to be some disruption. Obviously, there has been every place else, but I think you just have to roll with it. We roll with it in college football. We roll with it in the NFL. We're rolling with it now in college basketball. So why wouldn't we have to roll with it in the NBA? It stands to reason. But, yes, Portland right now, if I'm Portland – 
and their guys. It's a veteran ball club, much like the Jazz. I don't think there's going to be much opportunity for rookies to be making any mark on either of these teams here. So, yes, if I'm Portland, I'm absolutely thinking, hey, we got to take advantage of an opportunity. A window is open for us right now. I think it's in terms of uh, that window, I think that it has a less of a life shelf of being open, if that's a phrase, if you can follow that metaphor, than the Jazz. To me, the Jazz have a longer because their two stars are younger than what Lillard is. But still, Portland, it's not like Lillard is over the hill by any stretch. <laughs> They have this opportunity to win and win big. Yeah, for the Jazz to win tonight, it's going to be difficult. But at the same time, being on the road with no fans or a smattering, I think Oregon is a democratic state, so I assume there's going to be no fans, uh, that it's not going to be as intimidating or as difficult by any stretch. So this is the first game. You want to get off to a good start, play well, shoot these threes that they're doing with a higher percentage of faster pace and – Know, how we're going to look. Yeah, we're all anticipating that. I know I am. I'm not going to go crazy win or lose, but it's a fun opportunity against a quality ball club to see where you stand. Lillard's 30, C.J. McCollum's 29, Nurkic is 26. So they are really moving into their sweet spot right now. So games at 8 o'clock tonight. You're going to hear it on 97.5 The Zone. The Aggie game will be on 12.80 The Zone. They're playing San Jose State at 7 o'clock. All right, DJ and PK, we've got to take a break, and we will come back with Riley Jensen, our college football insider. Stay with us.